God, we all are here at different places. Some of us are, are, we're not sure you're even there. Some of us are are people of, of faith. Some of us are single and we're thinking about getting married someday. Some of us are single and we've been there, done that, and aren't sure we want to go back to it. And some of us are married and that story just scared us. So wherever we're at, God, would you reach down to us today? Would you just touch our hearts, our lives? And I continually pray for this, but would you give us courage to, uh, to do what needs to be done next for, for, from you, your instructions, your guidance. Um, help us to understand and to follow. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we, this is it, the last message of the series. In, um, today we're going to talk about developing a God-honoring marriage. And we'll get to that in just a moment. First of all, I want to kind of change how we look at marriage a little bit. I want to give you kind of a metaphor or analogy of marriage. And since I'm kind of, uh, uh, I like canoeing and that kind of thing, spend a lot of my time in my life doing those kinds of things, I just go there for illustrations, right? So here we go. A kayak. You are born with a kayak. If you're single, you are a kayaker, right? Because, and I know they make tandem kayaks, but who wants to do that? All right. So there's just one hole in the middle of the boat and it's you. Now, the cool thing about being in a kayak, if you don't know this, is how responsive the, the vessel is, right? You're on your own. You want to go left, you go left. You want to go right, you go right. You want to go forward, you go forward. And it, kayaks can just move at will through the water very, very uh, easily and, and very handedly. And, and you are in control because you're the only one in the boat. Now, the canoe is made for two. Right? One person in the bow, one person in, in the stern. And canoes cannot cut and change and move so easily. And sometimes being in a canoe is a little frustrating because, I'm not speaking for any personal experience, but when you're in the stern and you look at the bow, right, and, and they're doing something we call lily dipping. Do you know what lily Just a little, little paddle, right? And you're like, I'm doing all the work back here. You know, and you're pushing it forward, or the person in the bow is just working like a dog, and the person in the back is just using their paddle as a rudder, you know, and steering around, and they don't even know because they've got to face forward, right? By the way, we do this thing, uh, this canoe kayak thing at our house. We, everybody comes down. We've done it for years. Um, many of you, we had 100 people last year, and they canoe for about two, three hours, some of them four or five hours. And, um, <laughs> and then you come right to my house. We have this barbecue thing, right? I'm telling you, um, I now don't go on it because I have to prepare the food and that kind of the house. But when I went on it with some of you people, man, that was challenging to your marriages, right? The ones of you in the canoes, some of you have quit doing the canoe thing because the kayak is so much easier, right? But when you're in a kayak in marriage, you, you just can't jump out of the canoe. When you're in a canoe in a marriage, you're, it's, that's it. You're, you're going and you're, you're staying together. So here's the analogy, right? When you're uh, this guy... Well, what would he be? Single. Single guy, right? And he's going through the water, having a merry time in, in, in life. And then what do you call one of these? That's a singles group, right? <laughs> right? And, th- and they'll get their little kayaks close together. They'll bump into each other. Oh, that was fun. And then, and then I kind of like, he looks good in a kayak, you know? And then you paddle a little closer and you start to talk. And maybe someday... If, if you decide to do it, you each go, you know, we could trade these kayaks in and we could get a canoe, right? And we could be just like this old middle-aged couple, right? And, and they're there, they're canoeing. Now, look at them. They've stopped paddling and they're looking at 
the group we just saw. <laughs> and they're thinking to themselves, that used to be us. Okay? We, we could paddle wherever we want. You know, we weren't, we weren't fighting about it. Sometimes, honey, I paddle, and it feels like you're paddling the exact opposite direction. Right? And it is so frustrating sometimes to be in this canoe together. Let me show you another picture. What's this couple? <laughs> Newlyweds. They have no clue what's about to happen to them, right? They're in, the water seems beautiful, all the boats are going by, and all of a sudden they go, oh, there's white water. How about this group? Right? That's the Duggars, all together. <laughs> right? And, and by the way, they call those war canoes. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Um, so here's the thing. If you're in a canoe or in a kayak, you will have to go through rough waters in your life. The river represents the time in your life. The journey and and so but when you're together right I mean there's just a lot at stake in how you cooperate a single person has no one else to blame kayakers can't go well it was your fault you know there's no one else in the boat it's your fault it's your responsibility but but when the boat tips and there's two of you together you can start to yell at that other person right it's your fault we're all wet you stood up right by the way I used to think uh, well you finish the sentence how many people does it take to fight? Two. Two, right? How many people does it take to tip a canoe? One. one, right? So I'm not so sure about the first one, right? Because I promise you, if I want to have a fight today, Lori and I are going to be many hours in the car together today. <laughs> I can start one in one second, right? And she'll say, I'm not fighting. And I go, not on the outside, <laughs> but on the inside. You're fighting on the inside. You're like, you know, you're all riled up. And I mean, I, if I want to be that guy, I could be that guy. I don't want to be that guy, right? But, but it really, it only takes one to fight. I, that's not, not my thing. You know, we have to figure that out. But it takes, I know it takes one to, to tip a canoe because I've done it many times. So when we, and those of us who are married, we're, that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of getting down to the river and having regret. We're afraid of tipping along the way. We're afraid of what the fairy tale that we just heard together. And all of us, kayakers and canoeists alike, when we go down the river, we've seen what happens to other people, and we've seen canoes hit the rocks and be left there trashed forever. That's called a wrecked marriage. And some of us, because we've seen the wrecked marriage, we've seen the carnage of it and, and the disaster of it, we go, I am never getting married. I'm a devoted kayaker for the rest of my life. I am kayaking. Others of us go, you know, um, that's what I'm trying to avoid. And there's some of us who we go, yeah, that's my old boat. That's my old boat. I'm out of that marriage, and, and I don't ever want to be there again. Right? And that, that's, this is not easy. Right? When I take you guys out in the river together and we're going down, you know who struggles the most? It's the people who don't have skills. Lori and I don't ever fight in the river. We spend hours and hours and hours and hours on the river together. It's intuitive to us. But if you don't have the skills for how to handle a, a canoe or a kayak, it's rough. This is what we talk about church. It's really, we're giving kayak training, canoe training, life training, God training every, every single week. Now, here's a really important question for those of you who, it's important for everybody, for those of you who are canoeing, right? A very important question is, what is success? You and your spouse should know what is success, right? So um, in a canoe, it could just be like, make it to the end, still losing ourselves in each other's eyes, 
right? You remember the day you got married and you looked into her eyes or him and you, and you just would lose yourself. And, it, and you hope it continues as, as you age. You hope it goes through your, your whole life. You hope it's a mature kind of love and understanding <laughs> together. We're like, okay, you, sh- you are sick people. I show you couples. I didn't hear any O's. I show you animals and it's all... <laughs> Just think about that for a minute. Take that home and think about that because you're bad, all right? And that might even be an intimidating look, not even a love look. I mean, take a look at what's going on there. So we hope to get to the end, what we heard in the song, which is, you know, you're still the one. After all these years, you're still the one that I love and I want to be with. And um, you frustrate me sometimes, but you're still the one. And so we just want to get to the end and go, we still love each other. That is a good thing and a great goal. But I think there's a higher bar we can reach. Right? Some of us, by the way, um, we, we, just, we get married and we go, I want to have as much fun and happiness as possible. What's the goal of my marriage? Fun and happiness. So what happens when the, happiness, what happens when the happiness is gone or fleets for a season? You're going through a difficult chapter. A lot of us, that's when the canoe starts to get really, really tippy. Right? Sometimes I'll talk to people who are getting divorced and I'll say, well, what went wrong? And they go, I don't know. Well, did somebody cheat on the other? No, none of that. You know, well, are you fighting about money? No, it's not that. Well, what is it? I'm just not happy. That's an indicator that that's their goal. That's what success is. When happiness is removed, they go, we're not succeeding. I'm, I'm done. I'm just not happy. And by the way, it could be a season. It could be a depression. I'm not even sure marriages are always, in fact, I'm pretty sure they're not always supposed to be happy. They're, it's a journey. It's hard. There's different kinds of water. There's still water and fast water, and there's waterfalls. There's tipping and getting wet. There's rainy and sunny days. This is, this is life. But for some of us, we get married, we stay married because we want to suck the joy out of life as much as we can. We want to have fun and all the happiness possible. Some of us, we get married, and the truth is, it's to have and to raise children together. We hear the biological ticket, tick, ticking going on when we're in our kayaks. And we go, I better find another kayaker who's ready to trade in the kayaks and get a canoe. So we get a canoe together, but the whole time we're doing it because that window of having children is fleeting and we want to make sure we have kids and we want to raise kids so we make some decisions to get that end done. And then when the kids are raised, we look at each other. By the way, when the kids are raised and they're leaving the home, that is a divorce window right after that because couples lose each other during the child-raising years, right? So that, what's the goal? To have them to raise Raise kids. Nothing's wrong with that, but there's a higher bar, right? Some of us, if the honest truth is, <laughs> the bar is pretty low. We just want to make it to the end till death do us part, right? So we're on the river, we're paddling together in the canoe, and we're just thinking, I'm just going to keep paddling. One of us will die sooner or later, <laughs> right? And when they die, when they die, I will say, if it's me, good for her. If it's her, good for me. But at the end, one of us is going to stand up and say, we made it. We had a really good marriage because one of us died and we made it to the death to his part. That is the lowest bar. And a lot of us live there because we become roommates instead of spouses. We coexist in the same space, the same church, the same functions. But we've settled just trying to make it to the end together. And that's horrific, right? By your reactions, it's horrific. So what I want to do today is I want to raise the bar a little bit on, on marriage. And i got to be really candid with you. This message is going to apply more to those of us who are believing. Now, you can apply it no matter what you, the principles we're going to talk about. You can apply to any marriage. But 
but, 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 those of you who are following Christ, I want to set the bar higher and talk about God-honoring marriages. Okay, so let me talk about a marriage that's not God-honoring, but it looks really good. Most of us get married. We think, hey, this is all about us. I love you. I love you. And all the feedback, all the emotional cookies, all the love, all the tenderness, all everything's going between the two of you, and you view yourself in your own canoe on your own river. And we're just going down, and there's this big bubble over you. And you think that it's all about you. And in fact, I, I think, I mean, that, that looks like a good marriage. And it's not a bad thing, but I think it's supposed to be much more than that. I think marriage is supposed to look more like this for those of us who are following Christ. That our marriage is not only about us, but it affects the world. It, God uses our marriage as an actual tool to attract people to grace, to love, to forgiveness, to wisdom, to God. And that the arrows go out from us, not just between the two of us. I call one of those marriages a marriage that honors God, a God-honoring marriage. Now, this past week, I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here. This past week, someone came to me and said, Doug, I'm a little disappointed with the teaching series. By the way, those are the words I love to hear. Right? I'm a little disappointed with the teaching series. Well, why? What's up? Well, I just would have thought it would be nice to have heard about couples in the Bible who were actually married and some of the principles from their lives that we can see. And I said, oh, okay, well, let's talk about some marriages in the Bible. So we're going to do that today just for a couple minutes. So let's start off with the first one, try to figure out some principles. The first one was Adam and Eve. Well, they agreed on one thing, right? And it's ironic because Eve was actually made for Adam. And what are they most famous for? The worst decision in the face of the planet ever. There's no marriage principles except for this. God invented marriage. Way to go, God. After that, everything goes downhill, right? So there's nothing to teach from there. Um, I'm going to give you one I don't have a slide for because it's, a, it's, it's, it's the oldest one. Job and his wife, they hit the whitest, they, were, they hit a series of waterfalls, right? Really, really tough waters to go through. Job is sick. And everything. His wife comes up to him and says, here's what you should do, Job. Curse God and die. She goes, you know what? And then I'll do the, we made it to the end dance, right? <laughs> we had a successful marriage. You're dead. And, and I don't have to clean your boils anymore. All right, so. Oh, come on, it happened. All right. How about Abraham and Sarah? Oh, that is such a nice story. And Hagar. Um, okay, if you're not laughing, read your Bibles. Like Genesis 16, 17, 18, and there somewhere. Just learn about I mean, because here's what happened. Sarah was promised a child from God, but she was an old woman. She waited a long time, didn't get pregnant, didn't get pregnant. Finally, she goes, well, let's get this done, God. And she takes her younger, Hagar, slave, servant gal, and she comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I think you should sleep with her. And Abraham says, well, okay. And, <laughs> and they have Ishmael, and God says, that's not the plan. Right? So we kind of learned something don't do. So women, don't bring your young slave. Right. Um, here's one. Here's this Because we always like David and Bathsheba. There's a winter marriage. Starts with adultery, ends with death. Right? And it's not one of those two, by the way. Okay. That's Old Testament. Right? So we go to the New Testament. We find Mary and Joseph. And Mary and Joseph are awesome. They honored God. They obeyed God. They, they had to have dreams and visions and angels to pull it all off. But but after Jesus is born, we never hear about their marriage again. So there's not really a lot to pull off, except that they were be honorable people and follow God and devote yourself to God. Another couple, Ananias and Sapphira. 
Yeah, you're laughing if you know, right? Ananias, the very early church, they will come in, they make their offering to God, and then they lie about it. They exaggerate how much they put in the old offering plate, right? And Peter says, you didn't have to put more in. You just have to tell them, don't exaggerate, don't lie. But because you've lied to us, you've actually lied to God, and then they both drop dead. Go Acts, read Acts. You'll, you'll see it. It's a great story if you like people dropping dead. Um, <laughs> Now, this is actually a good one. Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila's the male. Priscilla's the woman. And they live in Corinth, and they immigrated there. And Paul comes on his missionary journeys, and they become Christians together. They were Jewish before. They become Christians. And so Paul lives in their home. And then later on, Paul is going to take a trip from Greece, Corinth, to Syria to do more mission work. And they go with him. And they become what I think is the first missionary couple to devote their lives together. They made their marriage uh, a tool for God. They put their marriage below, uh, under God's leadership. And it wasn't just about them staying safe and fat and comfortable in their, in their homes. They said, no, we will come with you, Paul. We're going to do what you're doing, and we're going to reach people together. And it's commendable, but there's not a lot of real ma- marriage data from that story. So when we talk about developing a God-honoring marriage, I have to be candid with you. It's going to be common sense tied to Scripture, and I'm going to make some stuff up, okay? (laughs) If we're all comfortable with that. Um, So we're going to call these God-honoring marriages. You can disagree with me, so that's the beauty of it. God-honoring marriages, I'm going to call them GHMs because, not because I like acronyms, but because it's just too much to type out and have on the screen. So GHMs, and I'm going to give you four keys that I totally made up, but they're there's, I, think they're, I think they're wise. I think they're scriptural, right? So here's the first one. Um, and we've talked about this already. Key number one is God-honoring marriages begin with God-honoring individuals. When you're a kayaker and you're looking for another person to trade your kayaks in together for a canoe to, to paddle together, if you want a God-honoring marriage, look for someone who wants to honor God. Make that a very high bar. And this has been a, a consistent principle throughout our whole t- conversation from dating to marriage. But it's, it's so much easier to develop a God-honoring marriage when you both want one, when you both think this is a great idea. Let's, let's, let's do this together. So when you're in the kayaks, be very, very careful about who you're bumping into. Look for something more than he's really cute or she's really beautiful. Look for character. Look for depth. Look for devotion. Look for God in their lives. And then... And then start to paddle a little bit nearer each other. And start to talk about those things. And someday maybe you'll make the trade in and have that first honeymoon year together. Now, here's what's happening in this room right now. There's some of you who are canoeists, but your partner in the canoe might not even be here because they don't even believe. You would love nothing more than a God-honoring marriage. And you're here and you say, what about, what about that situation, Doug? What do you do when when your spouse is not on the same page. Um, yeah, they're in the same boat, but they're not on the same page. And here's what I want to tell you. If that's you, I'm, I know it's hard, but here's, I promise you today, you can apply everything that we're going to say. You just can't apply it to your marriage. You can only apply it to you. So what I want you to do is to apply everything you hear today. You apply it to your marriage, but you don't put it on your spouse. Right? You do all the things we're going to talk about to the best of your ability, and you'll be able to put it together. You can do them all. But you don't come home to your spouse and say, here's what you have to do for us. They don't care. They're not on the same page you are. You know. And now here's what Scripture says. If you're in that position, you know, don't leave them. Unless they kick you out, then you're free to leave. Don't leave them. 
but be consistent in your love and, and, and how you do marriage. And it says in Scripture, it says, some people come to faith this way. Some people get saved this way. Now, pause for a minute. Every kayaker in the room, look at me. You're going to be tempted to do missionary dating because of what I just said. Right? No, they're not on the same page, but they're really cute, and someday they might love Jesus if I just love them enough. No. That is such a bad strategy. If you're already in that position, it's your only hope. But if you're not in, if you're in a kayak, you've got all the choices in the world. Choose really, really carefully. Look for someone who wants to honor God with their lives, because if they want to honor God with their lives, there's a really good chance they want to honor God in your marriage together. Right? So let me go to another key, because we beat that one up quite a bit over the whole, whole series. The second one is this. When you're dating, before you get the canoe, talk about it. So what's success look like? Now, by the way, this is, this is as you're getting more serious. Probably not your first date. So do you want to have a God-honoring marriage together? No, that's not, not a first date conversation. Right? But talk about it, agree about it, and commit to it. By the way, this is, this is relationships one-on-one. What's important to you? That's talking about it, right? And if something else is important to you and it's important to them, then you're not agreeing about it. But let's come to an agreement about if we're going to stay together, we better figure out what's important to us. And then agree about it and then say, okay, so this is what we want it to look like. And then you commit to it. And, and every couple has to do this. It doesn't even matter what the goal is, what success is. You won't be on the same page. It doesn't matter about Jesus. You want to be on the same page about what a successful marriage. Otherwise, one of you is looking for all the happiness and joy, and when I look into your eyes, I want to see love, and the other one's just waiting for you to die. You're on different pages about success. All right? And if you don't talk about those things, I promise you, you will flip. I promise you, if you can't talk about it and agree about it and commit to it, whatever it is, right? You will typically, someone's going to stand up and start to rock the boat, and pretty soon you're going to just, there you go. It happens. So let me talk about this just for a little bit more um, from real life. And as I tell this story, I want you to know I'm not bragging, and I'm not saying, oh, look at Doug and Lori, how wonderful they are. They're so perfect, okay? I'm not saying that at all. Usually I tell you fail stories, okay? Um, But once in a while, it's nice to say I did something right, and this is one of those stories. So Lori and I, when we first started dating, um, she, she had actually, we, we talked about the journey. That was one of our first conversations. Uh, you know, so tell me about your faith journey, because I knew she was a follower of Christ. Tell me about your faith journey. And she, here's what she described. She said, you know, like 10th grade, she started dating uh, a guy who um, was really, really fun to be with. Really, really fun. Really massive big ears, but really fun to be with. <laughs> No, I mean huge ears. And <laughs> I really liked them a lot. Anyway, um, so they were dating. They were dating so seriously. When she started college, she had a ring on, but it was one of those stupid promise rings. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't an engagement ring. It was a it, someday we'll get engaged, someday we'll get married type of ring. But here's the thing. They were so serious. And they were, they were serious about their future together. But then Lori became a Christian. She... She felt this emptiness in her life. She reached out to God, and she got right with God. And she realized that the page she was on and the direction she was going with her life was different than that guy. This was long before Doug came into the world. I mean, her picture, right? And 
um, she had a Christian woman advising her, working, praying for her, and the woman never told her, but she was just praying really, really hard that Lori would break up with this person because she knew what was at stake. And Lori finally came to this conviction that even though she loved him, by the way, I can't even get that out of my mouth very well, even though she loved this guy with big ears, um, <laughs> right, she, she could not do life with him. She could not do the canoe with him. And so she broke it off. It was the hardest thing she's ever done and the best day of my life, even though I didn't know about it, right? So, so that broke up. Meanwhile, when I was in high school, uh, so she's positioned now for, to, to, to direct her life to God. Meanwhile, I'm in high school, and I'm, lack of a better phrase, drinking, partying, trying to get the best grades I can with the least amount of effort right? Not, not too serious about anything, having a lot of, but I, I had a good reputation among, you, mean, you wouldn't, if you were a teacher, I, at least I didn't think you knew, right? And I had my academic friends and my music friends, my sport friends, and I had my parking lot friends, if you know what I'm talking about, um, my Friday night crowd, right? I just saw somebody pat their husband on the knee. Um, that's, <laughs> just remember, I can see you, okay? <laughs> All right, don't distract me like that, because that's funny. Um, so I'm, I'm doing all that stuff, trying to fill up, but always being empty. And long story short, I came to a night where I just said, God, I'm done. If you're really there, I really need you. If you're really there, I don't want to live this life. I'm going to need your help. If you're really there, and I'm not going to tell you all the story, but God showed himself, revealed himself, and I came to the point where I just said, I'm in. Because I'm, I was at the point where I was going to go, God, I'm either going to fight against you because you're either the greatest lie or you're the greatest truth. I landed on the greatest truth, and that's why my life is devoted to God. So I went to University of Minnesota with that. Lori was already there because she's a year older than me. Don't ever forget that. Give her a hard time. It's good. And um, <laughs> I'm married to an older woman. And, and when we met, we met at a stinking prayer meeting. I'm sorry, it's true. Because um, that makes me sound really spiritual. But it also is a good reason to pray with your eyes open, guys, if you're single. And, you know, just look around. Oh, she's kind of... Because <clears throat> that's where I saw her. And that's where God... God said, you know, I don't know if God said it, but I said it. I'm going to find out who that woman is. And our first conversations were telling those stories together. And it was finding out what direction we're on and what's important to us and where does God fit into this. And as we talked about those things, we started to talk about the future. And, and I'm, now I'm talking about a long time of dating, right, the future. And falling in love, but falling in mutual direction simultaneously. And we had conversations about what do we want our lives to be about and what would we want our marriage to be about. And I remember us saying, we want God to use our marriage in a winsome, wholesome way to instruct, to teach, to draw other people closer to God, to be an example and a place of hospitality, care for people. That's what we want. No plans on being a pastor. Crosswinds didn't exist, never would exist as far as I was concerned. No way was I going to do this for my job, right? But God had other plans. But all that to say that that's the process. you got to talk about this. And, and if, if you're in a kayak, you just heard kayak becoming canoe story. If you're in a canoe and you're both followers of Christ and you haven't talked and agreed, it's not too late. You do those three things. You talk about This is the principle. You talk about it. What do we, what do we want? What, write down success. And it may not be exactly what I think success is. You write it down. You figure it out. And together you take private vows before God again. And commit yourself. You don't have to take them public. We don't have to have another wedding or anything. It's just you guys saying, God, this is what we want for our marriage. This is what we want you to do with our marriage. And you make decisions about that. All right, let's go on to key number three. So two, talk about it, agree upon it, commit to it. Three, learn to add 
especially in my marriage. This is what God-honoring marriages do. When they read scripture and they come across something that's usually written to the church and it sounds really like smart, they think to themselves intuitively, and you may already be doing this, God, especially in my marriage. Let me, let me show you what I mean. So you remember John 13, Jesus is um, washing the disciples' feet. He's taking the role of a servant, a servant girl. He washes all their feet. And after he washes all their feet, he, he turns to them in John 13, 14, and he says, And since I, your Lord and teacher, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, right? I've taken that position. Even though I'm here, I took this position. I washed your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. You ought to leave your high positions and not be too proud to serve each other. He was saying that to the disciples, his followers. This is how we're going to live together. This is how we're going to work together. To the church, in essence. Right? Now, all of us as followers of Christ can read that and go, yeah, we should be serving each other. We want to be in a church full of, with a servant attitude. But for those of us who want God-honoring marriages, we just do this automatically. We read, you ought to wash each other's feet, especially in my marriage. We just add those words, starting with my marriage. We don't ignore the fact that it should be the church and our children and our friends and our office. We don't ignore all that stuff, but we go, especially starting, no matter what, in my marriage. I want that to be true about my marriage. I want to wash Lori's feet. I want to be a, a servant to her. That's what God has called me to do. Let me give you another example. Romans 12, 10. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Such great advice for the church, such great direction for the church. We should do that together. We should love each other with a great affection. We should take delight in honoring each other. But when we read it and we want God honoring marriages, we add, especially in my marriage. And then we start to ask ourselves, am I loving with genuine affection? Does she know that? Does he know that? Do I take delight in honoring her or do I take delight in backing the old bus up? Right? As often as I can, I want to throw her under that bus. I want to make myself look like the one who's really got it together in our marriage and she really doesn't. Or do I take delight in honoring her? Let's go to another one. Galatians 5.15. But, but if you are always biting and devouring each other, he's writing this to the church, by the way. Right? If you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. And what do people who want God-honoring marriages do when they read that passage? They add the words, especially in my marriage. Right? Think about your marriage for a moment. Is there biting and devouring one another going on? Right? Is, are you in danger of destroying each other? Because the fact of the matter is a lot of us end up there. Our marriages, gravity pulls. We start biting, devouring. We start speaking poorly of them to other people. Not in a constructive way to get help, but in a destructive way, in a gossipy way, in an undermining way. And it starts to work and edge um, at the health of the marriage. And, and we can destroy it. That's what a flip canoe is. Galatians 6.2, share in each other's burdens. In this way, obey the law of Christ, which is what? To love one another. So we read it, share each other's burdens, especially in my marriage. Yeah, I want to share my kids' burdens. I want to share my neighbors, the church people, anybody who needs help, I want to share that, but ah, starting with my marriage. And in this way, obey the law of Christ to love each other, especially in my, in my marriage. Here's the principle. Whatever is good for the church is great for my marriage. When I'm reading scripture, whenever I read something that's, man, who wouldn't want to go to church like that if this is applied? How great is that for my marriage? And so when we read scripture, we can, we can get instruction that way. Um, by the way, what is, 
What does Jesus call the church? It's his what? Bride. We're actually getting marriage instructions for his bride. So, of course, it would be good for our marriages. Of course, it would translate well to that. What we're supposed to do in the church, we start with, especially within our homes and in our marriages. Let me give you one more. Um, Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults. Right? And everybody's thinking it right now, especially in my marriage. Because especially in my marriage, I'm going to know their faults. I live with them. I know them. I see them 24 I go on vacation with them. I spend hours and hours and hours in the car with them, all those kinds of things. Um, I'm going to know faults. So especially my marriage, help me make allowance. Forgive anyone who offends you. Right? Especially my marriage. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others, especially for me, especially her. I've, I've got I've to operate out of grace and forgiveness, especially in my marriage. Right? So that's, that's the third principle, the third key. Learn to add, especially in my marriage, intuitively, intuitively as I read through Scripture. Let me give you a fourth one. It's learn to fill the gaps with the best possible. Okay, now I know when you read that, you, you may not track with that right away. Okay, what, what gaps are we talking about? Well, gaps are the stories we tell to fill in missing details. When something takes place and you're going, well, what is that, right? The story you tell yourself next is how you're filling the gap, right? So your kid is an hour late from school and you go to, they're getting high with his friends. You've just told yourself a gap-filling story that's a horrible story, right? You could, could be, could, you could have started with, gee, I hope they're okay. Right? Because you're thinking the best. Must, something must have happened. Why are, why are they late? They must be having an important conversation. They must have homework to do. They must have gone to the library to study. I'm sure that's what they're doing. Right? You could fill the gap in with whatever you want to fill it in with. We do this all the time. By the way, you know you, when you hear yourself say, you find out what the person was doing and it's something that's negative and you say the words, I knew it. You just told that other person, you filled the gap in with negative stuff and you now have it confirmed again and they're always never and will always and never be what you want them to be, right? The problem with that is it's self-fulfilling. The problem with that is we live up and down to each other's expectations. The problem with that is that when a man feels like um, he's ex- the worst is expected of him, maybe it's a woman too, but I'll speak for men for a moment. When we think that the woman is always expecting the worst and always filling in with negative narrative, we go, I can't win. I might as well just do exactly what she said. Might as well do it because she's thinking I'm doing it anyway. And then we use that as an excuse to propel us into whatever you think we're doing. Right? So, I mean, you can... And I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, but I'm right. I'm always right about this. Well, he's don't He's allowing me... She's this and she's that. And we do this to each other. And you, you might be right. And so that's why I say the principle is the best possible. I'm not asking you to deny the truth when it's the truth. I'm asking you to wait for the truth to come out before you fill it in. Right? I mean, when it comes out that your son comes home and he smells like marijuana, I'm not asking you to go, oh, you know what, that's probably oregano. It smells just like oregano. I'm sure it is. You know, I'm not asking you to do that. That's, that's denial and stupid and you're not dealing with reality. When you can't fill it in with the best possible, then you have to have the difficult conversations. 
the difficult next step, whatever it is. But you, we have to learn. This is what love does. This was God on your marriage. We always think the best. So when Lori calls me up and says, hey, I'm making supper for you, right? And I'll say, well, what are we having? And she goes, we're having lobster and steak again, right? <laughs> lobster and steak again. Can't we serve anything else in our house? And she says, no, it's really good. I'm making some popovers. They're puffing up right now. I'll say, okay. We never have these meals. And... Uh, <laughs> And they'll say, okay, I'm leaving here in 10 minutes. And in eight minutes, the phone rings, and it's somebody from church. And they go, Doug, do you got a minute? And I go, exactly, yeah, I'm here. What, what's up? Because I got two minutes, right? What's up? My mom just died. Okay, let's talk about that. And so you tell me the story, and we talk for a half hour. The lobster is boiling, and the steak is cooking. And we talk for another 15 minutes. Now those lobsters getting cooler and colder, and Lori's already eaten her half, right? And I'm on the phone with you, and I go, hey, can I pray for you? And so I pray for you on the phone, and it's a good time. And we, What is Lori thinking that whole time, right? If she's thinking, he always, he never, he doesn't care. She fills it with all the negative, negative stuff, and I come home and go, where were you? Blah, 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 blah. And then I'll just turn around and say, I was serving God. See, pastors have leverage. <laughs> and how can she fight with that? But if she comes up with that over and over and over again, and I start to lie to her, you know, to make things up, whatever, we're in deep trouble. And, and, and one of the things that she knows that, I mean, she, she always, she, she gives me the benefit of the doubt when I don't deserve it. And there's a part of me that wants to live up to that. Right? It, it draws me to be the better person. And to call her up and go, hey, I know you have the food ready. Um, I put the other person on hold for a moment, which is what I should have done in the first place, you're thinking. And, and I'll be late, I'm sorry. But she'll be like, no, no problem. No problem. Or it is a problem, right? So let me just take you to a passage. You've seen it in your probably your own wedding or someone else's wedding. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Let's just read it together. You know, not out loud, I'll read it. Love is patient and kind, especially in my marriage, right? Love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. I got some things to work on there, by the way, especially in my marriage. It does not demand its own way, especially in my marriage. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong, especially in my marriage. Ah, I've still got some things to do. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out, especially in my marriage. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Now, when you read those verses, some of you are thinking right now, and I understand it, you're thinking love is stupid, blind, and senile is what we just read. And the answer is maybe, a little. Maybe. But here's what I think that passage means love fills the gaps with faith with hope and it endures it doesn't quit even when it's proven wrong it doesn't quit it hopes some more it has those difficult conversations and it recommits itself to the to, to what success is together so that's the fourth key learn to fill the, and by the way this is if you have a bad pattern this is hard to change you can change it, but you're going to be praying your way through it. If you have a bad pattern of filling the, the, the narrative with negative, 
it's going to be hard. All right, so those of you who are kayakers, God bless you. God bless you. I hope that you either live your life fully in your kayak because you're not a second-class citizen because you're in a kayak, but if you, if you have the opportunity to, to meet another kayaker, find out you like to kayak together and you trade in your kayaks for a canoe, um, this stuff you need to hang on to. It applies to every relationship, but especially in marriage. For those of us who are, who are in canoes, we've got some work to do maybe. I hope so. I hope you'll take the next step. I hope you'll have this conversation about what is success to us, honey? What is it? What does it look like? We have to talk about this out loud. How are we doing on the four keys of a God-honoring marriage? And by the way, as you exit the room today, there's discussion guides. They're made for small groups, but there's a section in the bottom for couples, for couple conversations. So grab one of those on the way out. They'll be good for your small group. Um, and and, but, but I want you to use them as a, as a couple. Now let me talk to the guys for a moment. Guys, you grab the paper because I'm going to do something you're going to probably not like me for. You ready? You now have the responsibility to initiate the talk. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, who are you to tell me that? I'm just a guy standing up front. That's all it is. You can blow me off if you want to and say, no, I'm not doing that. But I want you to initiate the talk. I want to challenge you to initiate the talk. And let me tell you something. Because here's what will happen if you don't. If you don't and she doesn't, which is really likely, because you go home and I, we never talk about these things, we never, and you ignore this and you go, well, maybe she'll bring it up or maybe he'll bring it up. One day will go by, two days will go by, you'll forget about this conversation and you'll just live the rest of your life without being intentional about your marriage. So someone has to have the responsibility so we have clarity about that. So I'm giving it today to the guys. Right? Maybe next week I'll give the women one. But today I'm giving it to the guys to initiate the talk. And here, let me just tell you a little secret. She's going to love it. She's going to love the fact that you initiate it. She's going to love the fact that she didn't have to be the one to say, hey, let's do something spiritual together. Because when she does it, she feels like she's nagging you. When she does it, she feels like she's dragging you and the kids, and you are one of the kids, to church yet one more time again. <laughs> Right? So if you're the one who steps up and goes, hey, I got this, honey. Let's talk about this. That's all you got to do. Pull out the paper, read the questions. Go, you go first, honey. You know, that's initiating. You're, you're good to go. Right? Now I'm going to make it worse. At the end of the conversation, guys, I want you to initiate the prayer. And I want you to pray. And I know some of you, like, I see from here, I can see the sweat dripping off your face. <laughs> because some of us don't pray together. And I'm, you know, honesty, Lori and I don't pray together easily. We have to initiate it. We have to be intentional about it. Um, so initiate the prayer. Now, I'm going to get you off the hook just a little bit. If you're not yet a praying out loud couple, and I totally understand that. It's very difficult, challenging to do to be, for some reason, I think we have a lot of interference on that. Then do this. Just say, honey, you and I, we both know, right? We, don't, we haven't prayed together. So let's just pray in the same place at the same time, and I'll say amen after a while. Right? We won't talk out loud, but we'll just, we'll just, and you say, dear God, and then you shut up, and we're both praying, and then you wait a little while, and you say, okay, say amen. And you say, well, I'm not done praying for you. You know? <laughs> and you go, well, okay, amen. And you go ahead and pray without me. Um, do that if you can't pray out loud. It's okay. God hears every word. 
It's, it's, it's all right. Just pray at the same time. Now, one last thing, and then we're all out of here. So you got your homework? Ready? Last thing is this. Mark your calendars. Sunday, June 24th. I'm going to see how bad your marriages really are. Um, we're going to have our canoe, kayak, barbecue concert that day. It's a Sunday afternoon. Last year, we had over 100 people. We would love for you to be a part of that. So I just want you to be able to mark your calendars. Let's pray. Not just at the same time, but I'll pray, all right? God, um, great idea, this marriage stuff. But it is challenging. God, would you help raise the bar? First of all, our own lives, would you raise the bar for us, what life is really about, what our what success looks like? And then, God, would you raise the bar for how we live in, in our kayaking days? We... I think there's many of us that want to be kayakers who just want to honor you and learn what that means to, to follow you through those when we're single, however long that is. And then God, for every canoeist in the room, help us to communicate well, paddle together, to not just make it to the end of the river, but to honor you all the way down the river. Use us. Glorify yourself. Help us to honor you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, see you next week.